welcome to today's episode of The Prompt. Today we are joined by Jasper's very own internal ethics committee, Megan Keeney Anderson and John Below. I'll pass it off to them to introduce themselves. But again, I'm Samitha Reddy. I lead enterprise marketing at Jasper and I'm the host of The Prompt. Megan, why don't we start with you? Sounds good. Uh, so yeah, Samitha, as you said, I'm Megan Keeney Anderson. I run the marketing organization at Jasper and I get to be in sort of the unique position of both being part of building Jasper and this company, but also being one of its biggest users. Uh, we use AI um, pretty heavily across our marketing strategy, and so I'm coming at this both as a, a Jasper builder and a user. Great, Bye. thanks. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Samutha. I'm John. Uh, I lead the security initiatives at Jasper, so I do security, compliance, privacy, uh, and help where I can with, with other topics like ethics. Uh, been at Jasper for over a year. I've been doing security for uh, 15 or so years um, in various industries, but I, I love the fact that I get to work with AI in this kind of emerging technology space. It's super cool. Yeah, love it. Thanks, you two. So uh, John and Megan kind of make up the bulk of Jasper's uh, ethics council. Um, the two of you are kind of the steering heads of this council. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this committee came to be? Whose brainchild was it, or did you inherit it, or was it uh, thrust upon you? How did this all start at Jasper? John, why don't you dive in there? I mean, you were sort of there from the beginning, and you know, it's really a pretty robust, diverse collection of people that are, you know, from our product organization, from um, all all aspects of the the company. Uh, but John, you were there at the beginning. I actually joined it a bit late. Yeah, I we started this uh, very early, and as with a lot of things in emerging spaces, it started very simply. We wanted a place to take these questions that come up in the AI space that that you know we don't know we don't know we don't have all the answers right away, and so we wanted to get together groups, um, a diverse group of of people from inside the company that could answer some of these questions. So it started out with um, just questions about how do we talk about AI to people outside the company? How do we talk about AI inside the company? How do we use AI responsibly ourselves? Um, you know, what models do we use and how do we uh, ensure that those models are diverse and, and are not, are not you know, ex have extreme biases in them? Um, but then also questions of uh, uh, decision-making around that stuff internally uh, so it's not just one person or two people making a decision uh, and we can have a more diverse background. Since mm -hmm. then, it's gotten bigger and we've, we cover a lot more decisions now. We've, we've even published some stuff that we'll get to, I think, in the discussion. Uh, and so it's been, uh, as with everything at Jasper, it's been great to watch it uh, start very small but evolve into a much uh, larger and more structured part of the organization. Yeah, that makes sense. And can we even get more specific? Who exactly is on the council at Jasper in terms of functional heads of different areas? And how did you select them? What was the rationale behind it? Partially, we took we, we accepted volunteers, whoever, uh, in, in some ways, who wanted to be on it, who wanted to, uh, who had a, a voice, and it felt like they, they felt strongly about ethics and, and ensuring that we get this right. Uh, but we really wanted to make sure we had representation. So I kind of represent the, the security side um, of that discussion. We have members from our people team uh, to, to uh, represent the employee base at the company. Um, 
you know, Megan is there from, from marketing and, and a more public facing um, uh, perspective. Uh, but we also have um, people from customer success. Uh, one of our founders is a member of the ethics committee to, to, to kind of give an overall view. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some uh, perspectives Alex, there. Megan, our, did you have anything to add? Our council is also in it as Thank well. Um, he brings a really good mm -hmm. sort of perspective on legality and how regulations are developing, and that's an important factor too. Absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of pressure on us, but like being chief legal counsel of an AI application company, like, woof, like, I hope that man's taking his PTO because that just sounds so <laughs> high pressure. Um, that's great to talk through. How does it work when you guys disagree on things? Um, and maybe even taking a step back, like, how are issues introduced? How do you figure out what's on the agenda of each meeting? And then taking that one step further, as you guys talk through it, what are the checks and balances if folks disagree with each other? Because you have a pretty diverse and, like you said, robust group of people. I'm sure there's different points of view and disagreements. Yeah, I mean, I can take a stab at that. I think that, so first of all, there's sort of a natural maturation that happens with these committees. And I think, as John was saying, in the beginning, it, it starts out with just like a group of passionate people who are drawn to these questions, who want to understand them, who want to try to tip you know, the strategy of the company in the right direction. And uh, then, so it's a lot of like interest and questions and curiosity in the beginning. And then the next sort of stage is sort of understanding, uh, defining roles in a way, like understanding what each person kind of brings to the equation. So legal perspective, you know, a voice to communications, uh, the actual ability to build and make changes into the product. Um, and then I think it's sort of like, okay, cool. How do we shift from discussion and decision-making to action and to more, as John was saying, a more structured approach to this. And I think, you know, I think that's important to say because most companies right now that are starting to put together ethics councils, they're, they're somewhere in those early stages. And I think it's, it's got to be a very intentional decision to, to move from discussion to, okay, what are we here to do and what's our charter and how do we operationalize this? Um, so don't get frustrated if you are still stuck in the amorphous phase, um, but do try to think through what that next stage needs to look like. And as far as um, debates and disagreements go, I think that's if we're that's healthy, right? Like if we're all agreeing on everything, then maybe we don't have a diverse enough group in the committee to actually make these decisions because the whole point of ethics is you know it is there it's complicated right it's if it were easy you wouldn't need to have sort of these hard uh debates and and discourse around it right uh so i think you kind of welcome the um the disagreements and you find a structured way to work through them and to to get to like a reliable decision making process so you can think through like all right what it, what are the criteria through which we make decisions? Is it, do we factor in, you know, um, who is most affected by this decision? Do we factor in the, the size and scope of the impact? Um, you know, what are the sort of, it's not quite a scoring mechanism, but what are the sort of like filters through which we try to come to the best possible conclusion? Um, and you've, you give yourself a map to get through that conflict. I don't know, John, have you, we, you know, we haven't had a ton of those moments internally where there's been a lot of debate. 
Um, but anything jumped to mind or any other advice out of that? I look at it, I look as I look at a lot of my job, I look at it through the, the lens of security. And we do this a lot on the security team where we talk about there's, that there's a lot of right ways to do security. I think there's several right ways to do an internal ethics committee like we're trying to like we're trying to use. Um, you know, I, I don't think we've had a lot of like knockdown uh, fights about anything, but it's more um, a discussion around what's the best approach. Uh, since there are a lot of fine right approaches, um, you know, what can we do that will have the biggest impact that will serve the most people um, that will uh, create a system that we can be proud of and that we can talk about publicly and publicly and make our uh, our customers proud of as well. Uh, so I think that's more the focus and and uh, you know taking those ideals that everybody brings to uh, you know issues that we talk about and coming up with the best solution. Yeah. yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And something you said earlier resonated with me, Megan, where you said we don't necessarily have a scoring system just yet. I'm curious around like is there some sort of voting mechanism or scoring system that you think a council like this might start to establish as you get bigger and have more nuanced issues and issues that have disagreements? Like, have you thought through um, any part of the logistics of that? You know, it, we haven't had um, to to come to that just yet. We're early in ourselves, but I will say in past companies, I've I've been on committees where we had to make decisions about kind of terminating a customer's account for misuse um, mm -hmm. and we, you know, content moderation committees, that kind of thing at prior companies. And one of the things that I learned out of that experience is you actually want to like anonymize the incident as much as possible and get it down to the bare facts as much as possible to look at whether a violation of the terms or an ethical breach has sort of happened um, because everybody comes with their own their own biases to those discussions, right? And so, you know, I remember a specific case, I'll, I'll leave the details out around, you know, questioning whether someone was um, using hate speech, using a, a former platform for hate speech, this was prior to my time for, for uh, Jasper. And we had to like take the actual, um, a lot of the details out about the, um, the customer and about their political stance in order to be able to sort of fairly articulate, you know, if we if the situation had had flipped over and we were dealing with somebody on the opposite end of the political spectrum, or we we're dealing with somebody sort of on the opposite uh, opposing viewpoint, but still using that kind of language, would the language classify as you know? Uh, so that kind of there's like a stripping down that has to happen so you can see clearly, mm -hmm. and then even then it's it, it's tough. It's a judgment call, right? Uh, but those are the sorts of things we would try to do to to get to the cleanest decision that we could make. And I would imagine at, at Jasper, as we encounter things like that, we'll have to get together as a, as a group and um, figure out, yeah, what are the devices we're gonna use to get to the best decision we can. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Something that's coming up for me now is around um, education, right? So I think to your point, ethics councils have existed outside of AI for in every industry, in every vertical. 
And now with AI, what's different here is the speed at which the industry is innovating and at which the market is changing and at which users are adapting the technology and figuring out workarounds and how to amplify it. How do you all stay educated on this committee? I think for so many people, right, some of the precursors to wanting to be a part of council was interest in the issues and, um, you know, a desire to be part of change. But I think a big portion is, like, ensuring that you are educated and articulate coming into these. So how do you two make sure that you come into these meetings armed with all of the contextual knowledge you need to have thoughtful and fruitful discussion? There's a lot of information sharing that happened. There's a lot of sort of um, article sharing. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think that's actually the piece that, that works really well because there's a natural interest there. People are, you know, catching things and sharing them and having discussions and unpacking them. Um, one point that I would love to make here, though, is that this is, I think, I think we go astray if that's only happening inside the ethics committee. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think a part of this is how do you increase the AI literacy and the sort of um, the knowledge of these topics and these sort of issues across the entire company. Um, and so even that's why people ops is in there. Um, and, you know, I was just talking yesterday with our head of people ops about, you know, can we have more discussion groups? Can we have more, um, you know, a book group on AI that will help surface some of these issues? So across the company, there's an elevation of knowledge in the space. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a fire hose. You just kind of find a few people that you think are producing really helpful content and you build out from there. Unless I, can, I, can, I can share a little bit, Megan. I think your example is great about like general AI knowledge. I think this applies to the entire space. It's really hard to keep up with. Um, but one of the things that we talked about recently was there's this company, Lacara, I think that's how you say the name. They, they created this this little game um, called Gandalf where you could uh, try to do prompt injection. Um, and uh, through this game, you could try to get the password out of this system. Um, it, it's a really cool like gamified example of, of one of the, the issues or concerns around around AI and um, you know like poisoning prompts and that kind of thing. So this, we were able to use this as an example to, to bring to the committee, talk about, uh, you know, is this a concern for us? What protections do we have in place to uh, help our uh, users to not um, uh, exploit the system in this way? And, and, and a, a larger discussion about how big of a problem this is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's just one example. This company actually now has some tools to kind of prevent this. And uh, it's it's interesting to see as this uh, as this space evolves, this is kind of how that evolution takes place. Is issues are identified, you know, somebody raises a concern, we kind of get proof of concept uh, systems that will demonstrate the concern, and then we put in place protections and controls to uh, not only protect a system like Jasper, but also help users make right choices and protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense and. My, my last thought on this topic in terms of the actual structure of the AI Council is around at what point do you get your customers involved? Are you um, consulting with you know, executives at your top customers or even users at your top, top customers to help make some of these decisions or to factor them into the conversation? How does that work? 
I mean, we try to like hear from customers as much as possible across the board, and you do find that, unlike other software, perhaps like the ethical questions are mixed right in there with the tactical questions of how do I use this thing, right? I mean, we've talked with customers who are trying to roll this out responsibly across their company, and they're worried about, you know, hey, what happens if somebody just uses this exclusively and doesn't do any editing and puts out junk on the internet, right? Um, or what if, there's an, what if there's an inaccuracy and we publish it, are we then liable for it? Are we in trouble for it? Um, we had a lot of questions early in around plagiarism um, and a lot of questions around, you know, is training uh, a model on existing content stealing from that content in some way, shape, or form? And so unlike other software, I think we get those ethical questions right off the bat, even in our earliest conversations with prospective buyers, right? So that role is there all the way through. It's a big part of the reason that, um, you know, we try to tackle it head on. We try to sort of hear where their concerns are, give them a way of thinking about it, um, and, you know, help them ask the right questions to get to their own conclusions on it. Uh, recently, John and I worked on a um, kind of a template uh, that we put up on our website just at jasper.ai slash ethics where um, you can have that, use it as a starting place to have those discussions internally. Uh, talk about, you know, do we want a transparency statement on our website that shows that we use AI? Do we, um, you know, how do we think about uh, the standards of use across the AI, what we use it for, what we don't use it for. Do we use it for performance evaluations? Do we not? You know, tools to have those conversations internally and draw up your own standards because it is part of rolling out this kind of software. Let me just add an example to that point that I was actually just on a call yesterday with a customer who mostly was asking security questions. Those are the kind of questions I get a lot. But intermingled with those were questions about ethics, questions about abuse uh, of, of the of the platform, questions about you know the ethics around using uh, using Jasper to generate content um, that's used in very specific cases, like Megan was talking about. So we get a lot of feedback from customers, mm -hmm. and and my approach in those conversations is usually to say, okay, you know, here's how we're thinking about it. Now tell me tell me how that's wrong, tell me how, how what you can add to that, tell me what we can do better around those um, considerations. So yeah. I, I really try to make it a, a two-way street there when we're having those discussions. Yeah, completely, John. I think you're in a really interesting position here because it sounds like you're involved in some of those prospect conversations and those security conversations around yeah. is Jasper the right, right platform for us as end users, but you're also involved in some of these security questions and procurement questions around which models is, our Jasper, is Jasper gonna partner with, right? Like what is gonna be our driving our AI engine? How do you sort of reconcile that, right? Um, you know, technically the models are the one training on data, they're the ones, you know, giving you output. How does that role and responsibility around ethics, whose responsibility is it at times? It, I think people can think about it like it's punted to models and it lives there, but I think ultimately our customers pay us and expect a level of um, like ethical oversight. So how do you reconcile all of that? I think that's a great question. Um, if you want to join my team and help me like figure that out, that would be great. Uh, but um, no, it's a, it's a, 
it's a question we get from customers and prospects a lot around um, around exactly that. And we see the value that Jasper adds on top of the of the base models that are used to generate uh, the outputs. And part of that part of that value add is security, but also uh, ethics considerations and and uh, ensuring that those models are the best uh, the best available for this specific use case. And so those, um, I don't have a, a silver bullet to answer all the questions around that, but I think what uh, what people who are looking at generative AI specifically really want is a partner that's taking the time to consider those, right? That, mm -hmm. that they know that that's what we're, that's what our goal is, is to make sure that it works as well as possible, that the data that they enter is secure and safe, that their uh, employee data stays private and and that we have privacy controls around that stuff and uh, that the generations in the system are as good as they can be and that they're they're uh, the content that they create is as high quality as they can get and that's that's how you get these you know multiples on production that we see a productivity that we see in uh, you know from clients and that's how um, uh, that's how we kind of are successful so it is a really tough question to ask, answer. It's a it's a it's a lot to cover, uh, but we we take it seriously and we try to answer all of those questions individually as best as we can. Yeah, I can add to that a little bit, which is like, yes, there are pieces of this that the that happen in the model, right? So a lot of the filtering to prevent hate speech um, or reduce hate speech happens at the model level. Um, a lot of the choices around efficiency and impact on the environment kind of happen at the model level. Those are things that we don't control, but we can influence in terms of the, mo the model providers that we choose to work with. But then there's also choices all the way through, little choices, seemingly small choices that do have an impact on, you know, responsible use, right? So I think that I've seen our team do a really nice job of being opinionated in the choices they make in the product and, and correcting things when they feel like, hey, maybe this is leading to bad use. So a good example of that is, um, you know, uh, we used to have a, a template called the one shot blog post, right? Because you could give it a prompt and it would write a very extensive end to end blog post. Um, but we're also trying to guide people that like, you don't want to just hit publish on something that is AI only. You want to have human editing, you want to have checks and look for things like bias or inaccuracies in it, shape it as a human. That's an important role. And so recently we've changed that to the one shot blog draft, right? Like little, little guidance changes, but like that word draft is really important. That's carrying a huge load and a cue to people to understand that you know, there's a role here for responsible use. Um, so you'll sort of see us, we don't always get it right the, the first time, but you'll see us try to always evolve and um, and in the way that not just the product works, but in how we talk to our prospective buyers, our customers, the education that we do. This is more than just technology, it's a entirely new strategy. So we're trying to help steer it um, in a way that that produces, you know, the best uh, outcomes from an ethical and responsible standpoint. Yeah, an observation for me too, I, I love all of those points. An observation for me is that generative AI feels this like this huge 
omnipotent, like, you, it's everywhere, right? And everyone's talking about it and everyone has an opinion on it. And when I'm thinking about how the media portrays AI and ethics in AI, I think the moves of a couple key CEOs and a couple key companies in terms of how they articulate their stance on AI and ethics actually is what creates some of the buzz. Like it's actually a smaller group of people and I think their viewpoints and the policies they put out um, directly correlate to what the media reports on. And I think what's important is what the media reports on directly correlates to some of the conversations that happen at the policy level, at um, mm -hmm. the government level, in terms of how are we thinking about regulation? Um, what What are some of these doomsday talk tracks that come out of some of these clickbait headlines that come out of, you know, companies maybe speaking irresponsibly or not articulating themselves well? So there's, I think I mean to underline that these ethics councils are incredibly impactful, even outside of, you know, how does Jasper interact with their customers, but also how are they a bigger player in this generative AI space? Um, so with that being said, maybe my last question around this is, um, is there a concern that um, you guys talk about internally a lot or that comes up and it doesn't necessarily have to be completely ethical, but just a component of generative AI that you talk about often that you don't feel like the media is reporting on? Um, that you feel like, hey, why is no one talking about this? This comes up in our meetings often. Um, anything mm -hmm. that immediately comes to mind for you there? I, I've actually got one. Let me let me share this. I, I, I've talked about this to a few people, and uh, it's easy in in media and you know as we talk about how cool generative AI is to think of it as magic that you just kind of go in and it will like do all the things for you. And I, I actually was in a discussion with other security leaders about this just just this week. The idea that like we're going to get to this point where, you know, the technology that we're that we're talking about this like generative AI technology is going to like, you know, rule the world, control the world. From that perspective, like what we're talking about is very limited and and very um uh, and not related to, to that type of discussion. Um, generative AI is awesome. It's it's cool technology. I say this often, it's probably the coolest technology I'll ever work with in my career, but it does have its limits, right? And to Megan's point earlier, you know, you shouldn't just take the output and post it anywhere. And then, and a step further to that, I don't think it's, it's wise necessarily to kind of let it do its own generations and, and understand what it's, uh, what it should be generating and then just kind of go on its own. Uh, I think we'll see a, a, a quick degradation in the, in the quality of that output, but we also run this risk of, of generative AI on its own um, being less representative and being less uh, ethical uh, in its decisions. We've seen examples of this in the past uh, with other uh, machine learning and AI systems. And so I think a little bit of control around um, how we use the outputs and what we use it for really does take it from this really cool, awesome technology into like that magical realm, but you can't get rid of the, the little, that interaction, that personal interaction that you need to have to kind of make that transformation. Yeah. That's so John, awesome. if I'm hearing you correctly, you, I think what I'm hearing you say is that um, sometimes it's like a 
all or nothing approach that you're hearing in the media and just people's opinion, right? Either it's like, keep me away from AI, it's gonna take my job and it's gonna destroy all the things I'm passionate about in the world. Or you hear kind of the other, sometimes Silicon Valley echo chamber on, this is the promise to revolutionize everyone's world and this is the complete future and almost the role of the human is disappearing. And so I think your viewpoint is like, we're somewhere in the middle and being in the middle is actually the sweet spot. We're not working towards um, like complete one end of the extreme. Yeah, I think. Yeah, what, totally agree. I, I think the human compel- component is super important. Sorry, Megan, go ahead. No, that's good. I, the other thing that jumped out to me, John, is this idea of like, we have to de- demystify this thing. The more mm-hmm. that we, Meredith Broussard is a, a author of this book called More Than a Glitch, which is about bias and AI. Um, but she has this really great line around like, the more that we treat this thing as this magician, right? As this omniscient, as you said, you know, ununderstandable, like, um, petri dish, then Mm -hmm. the harder it's going to be for us to make those judgments about what's right and what's not. And so we really have to, oftentimes when I see the media talk about AI, it's this with this awe or this disdain to your point, Samitha, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they sort of see it as, oh, we can't really explain it. There's a lack of explainability in it. There's lack of traceability in it, so it just magically produces these answers. And I think we need to push a little bit further to um, n- not just assume this thing is a black box and, you know, hold ourselves accountable to asking the questions of, like, how does that decision process happen within AI? It's far more complex than an algorithm or, you know, like a traditional Google search results. But, you know, there is some explainability and traceability that can happen in there. So I think we should not keep it in that realm of this mystical thing and keep asking those questions. Yeah, I love that. Um, so uh, another question around um, the, the future of an AI council or how this might evolve as uh, the market and the industry mature and the technology matures even further is, do you anticipate that something like an AI um, ethics role will sit on um, like boards one day like how do you feel like this will manifest in the future like are you seeing roles for this sort of um, person in AI companies and even otherwise even if they're not AI I mean, every company is now becoming an AI first company so how do you feel job creation is going to play into the emphasis on AI ethics I think there are ethics, I mean, it's funny, even beyond AI, it's, there should be ethicists at companies, you know, certain companies that can, even outside of AI, that can then, you know, through their decisions, affect the society around them in, in major ways, they should have ethicists on staff or on board. Um, and if not on board, uh, there's, I actually was talking the other day with a woman named um, Olivia uh, Gamblin, who runs this, um, this community and sort of consultancy called um, ethical intelligence. And she will go into businesses, big businesses, and help them think through ethical standards and practices and even like specific instances that they're having, give them the frameworks to sort of make those decisions. Um, So whether it's internal or you're bringing in ethicists from the outside who can help, uh, you know, create an operating model for dealing with these questions, um, I absolutely think that's going to be an ever-increasing role and probably should have been a role uh, for many years, even before AI. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if anyone is an AI ethicist out there, 
I want you on the prompt, and I want to know everything that you're doing uh, having this be your full-time role. But in the meantime, Megan and John, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a sneak peek into what Jasper's Ethics Council looks like. Um, thanks for having, thanks for being on. Thanks so much Thank for having so us. This was great.